Hello. Hello. Oh, you have so much energy. You've reached the new parent support hotline. What is the nature of your baby related situation? I haven't slept in a very <laughs> long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm so tired. Yeah, so that's all very normal. Is there any unusual things or just, you know, <sighs> being alive with a newborn? Yeah, it's, just I think it's just living mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. my life now and forevermore. Yeah. Well, in your defense, that is very challenging at this stage. <laughs> So I have a, a baby-related fun fact. That is shocking. I know you're like you're like what? really no. I'm excited to have you back. Hit me. Thank with you. The baby-related fact. Fun fact: One of the best ways to cure jaundice in babies is just to leave them in the sun for a little while. Yeah, to give them a little sunbathing. Yeah. So it's so great. It is so great. So I was told an interesting story about how jaundice, how this method of jaundice treatment was discovered. Mm, and, yeah, I was wondering that. Well, yeah, so I was to- told one story, and then I investigated and found out that that story was not true. But no. I found an, another interesting story about what actually happened. So, but to get to that, maybe we should explain to the people who have not had newborn babies what jaundice is. Yes. So, jaundice is a condition where you have too much bilirubin in your blood. Now, that might beg the question, <laughs> what is a bilirubin? Right, because most people probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about how much bilirubin do I have in my blood today? Probably not. No. Although adults can get jaundice, but not very yeah. often. But so bilirubin is a yellow pigment that we all have some, but babies often have too much. Now, usually that's because one parent has an O blood type and the other parent either has A or B. And those two situations are, are incompatible. And it can cause a buildup of bilirubin because bilirubin, b- newborn babies have more bilirubin than we do anyway. It, it has to do with the hemoglobin and all of this stuff but hey we it, talked about hemoglobin on the show we did but yeah. but didn't it, we decide it was hemoglobin or well did we decided it was hemoglobin i think it's both okay i think we're i'm in trouble either way now but <laughs> let's continue but so so it can it's usually caused by a by a, a, a mismatch of blood type it can also be caused by a, a very poor breastfeeding situation where the mm-hmm. infant isn't getting enough calories and then they basically start to reabsorb the what's called the unconjugated bilirubin back from their gut into their blood which is pretty crazy. So anyway, but the more common thing is basically like blood cells that the baby's body that break down in the baby's body and their system isn't able to clean up the the byproduct fast enough. Basically. That's exactly right. And the the visible symptom of this is that the baby looks yellow. Yes. And has a sort of discolorated skin and also like yellow in the eyes. And most newborns have a little bit of jaundice. Yeah, they're just a little yellowy, especially like a few days after being born. Yeah, for the first few days and then it kind of clears up on its own. But for a significant minority of babies, it doesn't clear up on its own. And it's not typically super serious, but if untreated, it can lead to like brain damage and death. Mm-hmm. A brief aside, because I'm still me, I wanted to know the etymology of jaundice. <laughs> so, of course. This of is co- incredibly important. Of course. So yeah. traditionally, it was actually called icterus neonatorum, which is uh, the huh? Greek word for jaundice, followed by the Greek word for neonatal. Yeah, mm-hmm. And then there was a more severe form called icterus gravis, which is just, you know, jaundice and then grave. Very serious. Right. But the modern mm-hmm. word jaundice comes from the French word for yellow, which... Oh, jaune. Yeah. Jaune. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the past, in the before time, the bad times, we'll call it, the treatment of jaundice was basically just waiting and prayer. And if you got icterus gravis, 
you died <laughs> or were potentially permanently disabled. Right. But eventually they d- discovered the Billy Rubin part of this. Mm-hmm. And then what they developed was a means of removing it for the bl- from the blood. And so basically what they would do is they would do like a form of a blood transfusion, but on an infant, which sounds horrific. And what, what, I mean, that's the thing that has to happen sometimes in like modern medicine, but like what time was this? Like what, wait, when are we talking? Is this like 1800s? Yeah. Uh, before 1956, as we'll see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So basically the blood would be removed in small amounts and then dumped out and then you would get a donor to replace the blood. Right. Yeah. Which was understandably extremely risky for newborns because they, first of all, they don't have a lot of blood. Second of all, they're not real robust. Mm, sure. Yeah. It's invasive and. Yeah. yeah, exactly. For something that's pretty common. Yeah, exactly. So luckily for at least for babies born in European and American countries, because I think in India they knew this for like a lot longer. But in 1956, there was a nurse in England whose name was Sister Jean Ward, and she was working in some sort of infant care hospital and decided just on her own sort of intuition, you might say, or maybe science. I don't really know. It's hard to find the details. And these kind of stories often get kind of twisted when nurses were involved. They become legends. Yeah. Yeah. But especially when nurses were involved, right? So she decided that sunlight and air were better for newborns than being in a stuffy hospital room. I mean, that that sounds that makes true. sense. If right? you're not worried about them getting any diseases or anything from it, then that just sounds. I mean, and she would just take them out into like the courtyard of the hospital. Yeah, it seems nice for the baby. She wasn't like she wasn't like walking them around town. Yeah. But so she started taking them outside, and one day she brought one back in and noticed that only the area covered with the blanket was still yellow. Oh, snap. Yeah. Now, coincidentally, about a week later, a vial of the transfusion blood, which was full of all the bilirubin, was apparently mislaid, which is kind of crazy, and left near a window that had direct sunlight. Huh. And when they discovered it, it had gone from green, uh, from yellow to green. Huh. Which was this, thus proving this idea that phototherapy was having an effect on it. Right. Now, that was in 1956, okay? It wasn't until 1968 that they did a study on this. Oh. And from 1968 to 1978, there was something called the War of the Princes of Light and Dark, which is a very cool name. Excuse (laughs) me? The War of the Princes of Light and Dark. Yeah. Who were like different doctors that were feuding at dueling hospitals in New York City, where one hospital like really thought phototherapy was a great idea and the other one was super invested in transfusions and 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 this is always fascinating to me then like tell me about the transfusion people like because they were super wrong they were super wrong i don't know that much about them a cheap uh non-invasive therapy for a common thing and they're really angry about it and they're they're trying to disprove it um okay we could put that in for follow yeah up. so basically the uh, the the person who's considered the father of of u.s phototherapy a guy named dr gerald lucy he gave a talk in maine and when he was asked about phototherapy he uh, expressed the opinion that it was not scientific and just wouldn't work hmm. which is kind of weird <laughs> this is something that comes up in a lot of science, like pre-1960s, uh, or medicine in particular, is that someone comes up with a theory and then, uh, or like a, a potential treatment for something, and then people, they demonstrate that it works, they have some amount of evidence that it works, and the response is, oh, but it wouldn't work. 
Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, so <laughs> like this is this happened to the germ theory, right? Like right. in whatever the 1700s, 1800s. So it was like, hey, if we wash our hands, then people don't die from the surgeries. And they're like, yeah, but that wouldn't work. And like, right, but they're not dying. And like, right, but that wouldn't work. Well, so apparently the the of the 21 papers that came after the study, only one of them was written in English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and therefore people in the U.S. hadn't read any of them. Meanwhile, people in India for like some huge amount of time have just known this. Right. And then in, and then and eventually successfully using it to save babies lives. Right. Eventually, this guy, this uh, Dr. Lucy, he was attending a meeting in Portugal and he met a Chilean physician who came to do a neonatal fellowship in Vermont. And then he mm. was like, why are you all not doing this phototherapy in the NICU? Yeah. You backwards country. And they'd been using it in Chile. Yeah. Forever. And he had him dig up all the stuff and translate it. And then apparently, so that guy, Dr. Lucy, started calling himself the Prince of Light. Mm. And he was like the most outspoken supporter at that point of the benefits. And his chief adversary, the Prince of Dark, (laughs) was this guy named Gerald Odell at Johns Hopkins, who thought that there was this displacement thing was the the better way to do it and all this kind of stuff. And so that's why it's called the the Princes of Light and Dark, which is amazing, but also horrific. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely sounds like a My Little Pony episode we were watching recently. Yeah, there's more. De- there's a ton more details in this article that I'll put in the in the show notes about this. But but basically, nowadays most babies who have they stop they don't do transfusions anymore, and now mostly they just put them under mostly blue lights. It was blue green for a long time. Now it's mostly blue. Something between apparently 460 and 490 nanometers, which I guess is the length of the light. I would assume. Yeah, yeah, or the wavelength, yeah. Right, but in our case, we just put the kid in the sun for like 20 minutes at a time, a couple times a day for a few days, and it cleared right up. Oh, awesome. Yeah. the uh, I got familiarized with the sunbathing babies when uh, Ellie was in the NICU. Um, she wasn't, didn't really have to be in the NICU, but like the med- intermediate nursery was full, so they were like, well, we'll have her in the NICU, and she was just doing her little IV fuel up um but there was a babysitter in there that needed the phototherapy and they have like basically like a blue light that they sleep under and they just lay there and they're like yeah they're just chilling getting their billy rubin broken down yeah so we almost we almost ended up in there yeah yeah but i mean it's like the least invasive uh thing you mentioned that uh they don't do transfusions anymore there's an interesting uh exception to that which is that if the if it is known that the baby has excess bilirubin before it's born like when it's still in the womb then it's really hard to give the the phototherapy when it's like in inside the uterus so they need to do transfusions while the baby is still in the womb which is pretty wild that they can do that apparently that's a, a high success rate with modern technology um, and then follow up fun fact on bilirubin. That's what makes bruises yellowish. Oh, that makes yeah. sense. Broken down blood cells. Yeah, that's very cool. So as you may know, there's been some controversy in recent years in the conference industry about paying speakers. I do know about that as someone yeah, who has spe- spoken at speaked spoken at conferences on occasion. Yeah, and it's nice to get invited to speak at it a conference. Is. You know, but then. You realize like, oh, well, I'm doing a lot of work and or maybe they pay some people but not other people. So there's equity issues or they're disproportionately less likely to pay women and they'll like pay the fancy, you know, bro that's already been a CTO of some startup 
that already doesn't need the money and they'll pay him to speak, but not people that are at the beginning of the career. And there's been a lot of controversy about how, you know, the idea that speakers deserve to be paid for uh, their time and not just, you know, basically have to pay in terms of time and sometimes pay flights even to get yeah, to hotels, conferences, right. To compensate yeah. the, the speakers. Yeah. Um, so if you have a problem with conferences, asking designers, developers to speak for free, you will love the latest entry in Scheme Corner. Oh, I love Scheme Corner. It's it's one of my top 150 favorite corners. I would say it's like top two for me. It's a good, <laughs> I enjoy this corner. I just wanted to keep my, my options open. Well, I mean, we got some good corners going on. Yeah, we got a lot of corners. But in Scheme it's Corner. More, more than four corners in a room. <laughs> well, you can design room any shape you want. Who says what kind of room? At least in this room. In the room that we record in, in, right, the, fic- the, f- in the world fiction of fun facts. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the room that you and I are both sitting in right now, there are many corners. Yes. Uh, and in Scheme Corner, fun fact, there is a shady underworld of conferences that invite you to speak and then ask you to pay them for the privilege. Uh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so <laughs> have you ever gotten one of these? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, wait, that's SVU again. I'm sorry. <laughs> dun, dun. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I have gotten one of these emails, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so it's, <laughs> I was just so not expecting it when I stumbled into it. I was just like, huh. <laughs> so from time to time I get these emails, people invite me to speak to a conference, and when I get the opportunity to do that, it's all very flattering. Alan um, is a great conference speaker, by the way. For those of you who don't know, go look up his past talks. They're very enjoyable. Thank you. I You're will. Welcome. I can, I don't know, am I allowed to put you? can put a link in the show notes. This forces us slash you to put your own conference <laughs> talks i basically have forced your hand as it were i appreciate the chance no problem um so f- i get these emails and amongst those and most of them are they're very you know kind and they say oh i liked your blog post about this or whatever uh, but every once in a while i'll get an email that's more like exciting opportunity now in like all caps which is usually the sign of a non-scheme <laughs> you always know <laughs> exciting opportunity now this is probably just a heartfelt yeah, super legit on the level opportunity yeah mm-hmm. uh, and so when you read these emails uh initially it like seems cromuland like okay i haven't heard of this conference but they're saying that they're really excited to have me speak um but if you who doesn't want someone to be excited for them right and like they're talking about how important this conference is and it has like a very important sounding name like it's a symposium Mm. oh that's (laughs) a very important sounding name what could be more important than a symposium it's the pacific technology symposium right the whole that's not the actual exam yeah but yeah that's the kind of names they have right and you're (laughs) like this this sounds important i guess i just didn't know about this one but then if you start like kind of reading in between the lines and you're emailing with them uh or you get sucked into uh hopping on a quick call Ah, like uh, hopping mm-hmm. on a quick call. Just, just a quick call. It's never that quick. On. Yeah, and well, it's, they're as long as they can make it. Yeah, exactly. That's their, their goal. Um, but they want to charge you thousands of dollars to prepare a talk, fly to their location, which is in like suburban or airport land somewhere in like the greater DC area or whatever it is. Oh, so that's thousands of American dollars yes yeah okay. oh yeah of course yeah thousands of american dollars Canadian. tens of thousands of canadian yeah. dollars yeah. to <laughs> to deliver the talk at this conference okay um, and what do you get you get exposure oh it's for your portfolio yeah, yeah. for your brand uh-huh for your brand mm-hmm. you get to promote your brand they'll they'll totally shout you out on social bro yeah mm-hmm. they're gonna blast it out yeah they've got tens tens of followers yeah if you 
if you well, actually, the number of followers on their Twitter account is very high. Yes, but uh, I was referring to the non bots. Oh yeah, of human followers. Yeah, I don't know if it's tens. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe tens. It's a symposium though, so like you'd want to see what they're up to. So these these schemes, mm. I was initially very confused. I, I when I initially saw this, I'm like, okay, so it's a scam, right? And they just are. Uh, well, they just found a like, human weakness to prey on. Yeah, and then they just. But then I was like, well, but then who's going to this conference? That's Is what I was going to ask. There? Yes, have, did you? I want to go to one of these. So I found out who goes. Oh, how did you do that? So I... Um, did you go? No, I don't know. Okay. Well, I'm not that... Dedicated. No, that's a, you're not that committed. I get it. I'll have a baby for this show, but you won't pay thousands of dollars to go to a fake symposium. I mean, well, I think everyone out there knows who's the more serious host at this point. Well, interesting that you say that I would have to pay thousands of dollars to go to this fake symposium because uh-huh. I, I'd always written an office scam, but... Um, uh, a couple of years back, I went for a beer with the lead salesperson at a competitor of ours. Okay. And I was talking to, they were talking about how they get leads and how we get leads and kind of how our businesses work. And he said that, oh, a good way that we get leads is we go to these symposiums. What? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what? And he says, oh, yeah. So you just like pay a few thousand dollars and then you go to this this symposium and they their people like the symposium goes and wrangles like some a bunch of like interesting leads from these like fortune 100 companies like delta airlines or johnson and johnson or walmart or whatever not like the ceo type people but like the director of inter- technology integration or vice president of innovation synergy and like that kind of stuff mm-hmm. people who like have sort of semi-impressive business cards sure basically and they their sales process while they're selling uh, like people who work at tech companies uh to pay thousands of dollars to speak they're also selling the directors of innovation synergy like hey we will pay you to come to our conference wait hold, hold, okay so this the plot definitely thickens here mm-hmm. so okay so let me see if i can describe what you've described so they uh, they do three things that are all sort of in a cycle that leads to happiness for maybe everyone but certainly them yeah so the first thing they do is they convince suckers to pay for the opportunity to speak at their symposium on the basis of exposure and brand awareness yeah well the 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 pitch is like they include in the pitch that it's like there's going to be these important people from walmart like c-level executives and like vps from these top companies and then they'll want to hire you or they'll want to whatever whatever so they do that then at the same time they pay these sort of notables from these big companies to come and then they charge people like the competitor of yours who want to go there because they want to talk to those notables yes in order to sell them on their professional services yes exactly wow. or their thought technology or yeah influenceriness or whatever it that's is. an but incredible loop selling them on services yeah it's an incredible loop like who okay so obviously the people who paid to speak are kind of the big loser here. Well, I mean, this is interesting to me because, like, I was trying to understand the psychology of the people who also go to get spoken at. Like, I almost feel the worst for them because, like... Oh, are there actual people who just are in the audience? I thought IC just assumed well, everyone was, like, your competitor. No, well, the audience is apparently 50% like other people who paid to speak mm-hmm. and 50% 
the oh like god. notables. Fifty percent. Right? Oh my god! It's like fifty oh fifty vendors god. and like I guess fish in a barrel. Yeah. So half right? the people who are there paid to be there, and half the people who are there got paid to be there. Yeah. And apparently, the get to paid to be there is like, well, you know, we have this conference, it's a symposium, it's very important, but like because you're the assistant director right. of Vice Synergy we would love at you Walmart, we really want it's really important for us for pe- notable people like you to be there. So we'll pay for your flight and the tickets on us. Like it's a it's included and just because you know Walmart Mart is such an important innovator what's the word uh, for that where there's a small token amount of money given to someone there's like a like an honorarium yeah maybe that's what it is yeah there's like an honorarium for them yeah and there'll be like maybe a food budget or like the food's included or whatever right. like it's not like i think people would be more suspicious is it's like i'll pay you two thousand dollars to arrive and just be there no but it's more like a free ticket and we have a block of hotel rooms at a discounted rate or they're free yeah because you're a vip because you're a vip and we just want you to we, we think the conference will be better if you were there yeah, it's really important that we have thought leaders like you. Those people with those titles, that that whole vibe is is like wanting to feel important, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Middle man, and then then they can say that they were on their whatever resume or whatever, like, oh, I went to the Pacific Technology Symposium, or just a way for them to get out of work. <laughs> yeah, sure, and they might not <laughs> like the job anyway. Like to me, the idea of being <laughs> going and being in the audience and being pitched at the Pacific Technology Symposium is like horrible. When I could be doing literally anything else. Yeah, but if you go back to work to and them, you say, hey, I found this awesome company to build this app we want to build that's going to well, be garbage. <laughs> so, yeah. So apparently it's like 50-50. You look like a hero. Yeah, exactly. So they like it and they get like free stuff. And then the people coming to pitch, like at least this one salesperson at the competitor of ours seemed to think it was uh, a good deal. Although that company did go out of business since I had that conversation. So <laughs> I don't, As a I don't direct know. result of a symposium. Yeah. I'm not sure if it was a symposium related. Um, I, I think it was more of a cash flow problem, but you know, the, the, <laughs> well, but if you're paying for all the symposiums, wow, maybe it was the symposium budget it adds up. I'm just saying that adds up. It adds up. Yeah. $10,000 Canadian here, $10,000 Canadian there. Oh my God. Is that really the cost? I I just knew it was like in the thousands of U.S. dollars. I don't know if it's actually ten thousand. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that if you engage with them and you're like, sure, I'll pay you three thousand dollars for the right to pitch at one of these, then it'll be like, oh, and we also have the VIP package where you can sponsor the conference, right? Right. And you can have your name on all the banners, and you can have everyone knows you're important. There's going to be like a a VIP VIP dinner, and then you can like be at the head table of the VIP. Right. 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 Yeah. So for a few thousand dollars more, WWDC, which is the most expensive conference that i think i've been to is how much 1600 yeah in that range yeah and we're talking about much more than that oh yeah much more than that but like to be clear this is the cost not to attend but to like give a talk yeah that's right (laughs) which which is this huge controversy of people who are being asked to give talks not like receiving money let alone having to pay right right we're just trying like the, the the mainstream version of this is just that oh we can't pay you but we'll pay maybe for your airfare or your hotel. Yeah, or, or maybe give we'll your hotel or whatever. Do give something, you a conference give you a free conference ticket, whatever, whatever. Because it's but like, you like, don't get any of that and send us a wire transfer. Yeah, and also, and, yes, and, give us lots of money to this unnamed Swiss bank account. Yeah. It's probably just a regular bank account. I don't think there's anything illegal. About well, I don't either. think it's illegal. It is, I would say it's it immoral. Is a scheme. Is it immoral? Should we it, make a well, judgment? I think it's skeevy. Okay, uh, but I think it's only immoral if one of the parties is consistently unhappy with the transaction. 
which I guess I'm presuming they are. Like, I think that's probably true, but I haven't actually, like, I met at least one person who, who was the only person who I've talked to who have actually attended one of these. Right, but they were like, in a different part of the triangle. Yeah, they were on the, they were on the paying money part of the triangle, though. Like, that's normally the part of the triangle that gets the worst deal. They were, but they were at least getting concrete potential value. Potential. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we maybe, maybe it was only potential given, as you said, they are no longer in business, but. Well, apparently somebody told me that they were like trying to like port the whole company to Australia to avoid tax evasion or something like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We're definitely not going to name this company, but. No. Uh, so what's our, hold on. What's our scale? I want to know what our, if we're going to act as our own judges now and in the future on this show. Which we are as of now. Which we <laughs> clearly are. I want to know what's our scale. So is skeevy the the bottom and then there's like oh yeah we need to like what is how does skeevy relate to immoral relate to illegal we need something like a scale yeah so i say so yeah immoral skeevy illegal sketchy there's definitely yeah sketchy uh scummy skeevy to me seems like sketchy plus kind of gross yeah sketchy could just be doubtful yeah like it seems like Mm. this just might not work yeah 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh skeevy definitely there's some grossness to it skeevy implies some immorality some basic immorality, but there's it's not as immoral as immoral. Yeah. Immoral is like it's a flat. It's like clearly from the facts I have, somebody is being deceived or defrauded. Right. I think there or, has to be deception or defrauding either financially or emotionally or physically or some kind of thing where someone is like actually losing. But there's also like Im- the immorality of like the misleading sales pitch to start. Right. right, but is that maybe just amoral as opposed to immoral? Mm. <laughs> I think we're going to have to fork this out. We need to get like a, 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 a hierarchy. Could we get an ethics professor on here? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to dig, do a deep dive on the scales. Yeah. Of... yeah, yeah. I look forward to that. Yeah, but if it, you get an email, someone offering you an exciting opportunity to speak at their conference. I should definitely do it. You should definitely pay them thousands of I mean, dollars. look how good it would be for my brand. The vice president of Synergy for the West Coast will be there. Yeah, for for some company. For some company. The yeah. company you've heard of, though. Oh, yeah, for sure it has right. to be. They care much more about the, the recognition of the company than yeah. the actual power and influence of the person that would be there. Ah, so maybe the vibe is to get a job at that company in that title mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then just go to all the symposiums. I mean, you get free... Like, that's also a scheme. Shrimp cocktails... Yeah, I'm just saying there's probably someone out there who primarily in their job just goes to symposium. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's another mm-hmm. scheme on its own. Yeah, that's true. I, there's actually a certain categories of like very like legitimate non-skeevy jobs where that's what they do. Like if you are in the marketing yeah, you mostly department just, of a developer yeah. tool, you just you go around and go to developer conferences partially to convince people that your tool is good but also to collect go where the people are talk to them hey have you tried the tool what do you think get feedback yeah i've had a few friends who are in developer relations or devrail and uh, and that's definitely it's a kind of a similar vibe you go to conferences you give talks you meet people but i wouldn't say it's i mean that's i think very above board because you're just there to like talk to people who maybe either do or want to use some technology that your company is selling and your job is just to chat with them and and get them excited about it and answer their questions and be helpful yeah i don't know if that's scheming i think it's it's no i don't think it is i think think that's just a job that seems pretty sweet to be honest with you 
Yeah, if you like to travel, and it also depends a little bit. Like my brother's uh, working a startup now, and he has been doing some conference circuit for that uh, business. And their thing is they sell into um, certain service industries, so like window cleaners and plumbers, and like people who come to your home and provide a service. And those conferences are always in apparently in very random cities. So oh. you're like, you're in Jacksonville, Winnipeg, and then yeah, maybe Winnipeg and then Ak- Akron, Ohio. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And it's just like very random. It's not like, okay, well, all of the window washers, we're only going to get them to come to our conference if we have the conference in a cool city. Like, okay, all the one window washers come to Manhattan. It's like wherever you say the National Window Washer Symposium is, they will come and they're probably not going to pay three times more to come to San Francisco. I would, yeah, I'm really curious what those conferences are like. Cause I've only been to like, you know, either big and small sort of, but mostly I've been to indie iOS related conferences, which are yeah, all very pretty, different. I would imagine. Well, there, there's <laughs> also, a, there's a, a specific nice. point where a conference becomes an expo and that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, when I lived in San Francisco, I would see the Dreamforce, which is the Salesforce oh, conference no. happen. And they have like 150,000 attendees. Yeah, which is like larger than many cities. <laughs> oh, yeah. They rent out like every theater and mm-hmm. venue space in the city. And there are just many, many people. And I'm like, what in the heck are y'all doing at a sales? Like what happens at a Salesforce conference? But I don't have ever, I've never had any reason to go. I guess you learn more about CRM tools. Yeah, I mean, like that's enough reason to go on its own, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, I'm very excited about CRM, Alan. I know. <laughs> it's pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, so I have a fact for you that's that's kind of scheme adjacent, I would say. I'll take scheming, Jason. It, it's kind of a scheme. It's not really a scheme. It's I don't know. I'll let you decide if this is a scheme or not. I'll be the judge. Yeah, that's exactly right. You will be. So fun fact. The sport of bobsled was invented because a hotelier in Switzerland was annoyed that he couldn't make any money in the winter. Hmm. Okay. It's definitely an entrepreneurial spirit, which is a core founding building block of a scheme. Yeah, it could be a scheme, right? Mm-hmm. Depends what, how he implemented it. Right, yeah, okay. So there was a guy named Casper Badrut. I don't, okay. I'm for sure not saying that right because he was Swiss. He sounds Swiss. And, yeah, and he was a, as I said, he was a hotelier in the 1800s. I think I've now pronounced hotelier and hotelier two different ways, so that's fun. But he ran a hotel in St. Moritz, Switzerland. I guess it's San Moritz, probably. Let, we'll just assume that all pronunciations of Swiss-related things are incorrect, and we'll just go from there. We'll I would just, like to remind everyone that I'm very tired. We have a disclaimer. Yeah. So anyway, so in the 1800s, Samaritz was known as a summer mineral spa town. Hmm, that's interesting. And like rich and royal customers, mainly from England, would get, go for mineral cures from like May to September. Hmm, mineral cures sounds very 1800s. Yeah, which mean, meant that, that bad rut had an empty hotel for two-thirds of the year. Hmm. So he was really frustrated about this, and he came up with this idea. So at the end of one season of mineral curing, he apparently challenged some of his English regulars to a bet. So he said that he would give them lodging for free if they stayed for the whole winter and found the locale inhospitable and uninteresting. Okay. But if they had a good time, they promised to promote the trip to their other rich acquaintances for the following year. Any of these bets, like, if you have a good time, is the kind of, like, thing that only a rich person with nothing better to do could <laughs> agree to. 
It is sort of like a trading place. Months of your life. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like one dollar to ruin these people's lives. Bet. You, have you seen uh, that movie? No. Oh, you totally which, should. Wait, it's which... Trading Places with uh, Eddie Murphy and oh, Dan. Oh yeah, Aykroyd. that's a classic. It's on my list. Total classic, mm-hmm. and you should definitely see it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so apparently in that first winter, he just like plied them with food and alcohol and activities and stuff. And Samaritz is beautiful and apparently very entertaining. So this created a concept of winter resorting, which became very fashionable. Yeah, I mean, it's still fashionable today. Right. But by the 1870s, so this happened, I think, like sometime in the 1850s. By the 1870s, customers were starting to look for new ways to entertain themselves. And some of the guests started to take boys' delivery sleds and ride them throughout the the town because it was like very icy and also kind of one of those, you know, older European kind of small alleys, crazy on a hill kind of towns. And like a fun place to slay down. Right. And slide down, slay down. What that led to was the invention of ways to steer these small, quote unquote, skeleton sleds that they were using. Were they calling them that at the time? Uh, I think they were calling them either skeleton sleds or cresta sleds. Oh, okay. At any rate, the ability to steer led to just them going even faster and for longer runs. Sure. Which meant that they were going, becoming more of a hazard to the citizens of of St. Moritz and the, the pedestrians that they encountered. And it got so bad that in 1884, a major William Bullpit, with the help of Bad Rut, built what's called the Cresta Run, which is still there today, which was the first natural ice track for sledding sports. Ah, it's still there. Yeah, when the Olympics were held in Semaritz in both 1928 and in 1948, the track was used. And and I imagine that's part of why, because that was the first, was that the first Winter Olympics was in Semaritz? No. So the first Winter Olympics was in 1924 in Chamonix, but it was like kind of fake. It was it was called the International Winter Sports Week, and uh, it was kind of a, a test run. Okay. It only became the first Winter Olympics after they had more, and then they redesignated it <laughs> as the first Olympic Winter Games when they were going to do more. They retconned the Olympics. Yeah. They, they did. So it, it was not the first one. It was the second one was in, in 1928 in, in Samaritz. But anyway, so so yeah, so that was so that that club, which has apparently thirteen hundred members, has been around since eighteen eighty seven. In my defense, the nineteen twenty eight games were the first true Winter Olympics because they were held on their own and not in conjunction with the Summer Olympics. That is true. So I feel like we were both right. Yes, we I, we definitely were. <laughs> Interestingly enough. From 1929, well, not interesting, sad and uh, irritating and anger-making, from 1929 until December 2018, women were not allowed to ride on the track. Until 2018. Ugh. 2018. What, on, on the Cresta Run? On the Cresta Run, yeah. In 2017, women were not allowed to run on the Cresta Run. That's correct, from 1929. So before 1929, from like 18-whatever, I mean, at least one woman, I think many women did it in like the 1890s, and, and in fact... And it was fine. And it was, well, it was... We'll say it was fine, yeah. Apparently, mm. the <laughs> well, I, I saw one pretty upsetting story where one woman rode from the top and was followed by a young American guy who said, "See you at the finish," and went way too fast to like I don't know show her up or impress her, and he he died. So uh, okay, kind of... I that is tragic, but I do not feel like that was a woman's fault. No, for sure, no. But so not only was it illegal by the rules until 2018, but it wasn't until 2019 when Karina Evans of Britain became the first woman to go down the crest of run since 1929. Uh, not how, to, how, I feel like the number of things that you still hear where it's like, 
then this thing, this institution finally allowed women it and it's like in some time in the last like 20 years makes me wonder like are there still things out there that just have arbitrarily banned women for so long i mean of course there are right but i like like there should be like this list this burn down list like you know uh, counting down to like what are the remaining completely arbitrarily restrictions i mean uh, there were I, I can tell you for one thing that a bunch of like long distance running events and judo events and all kinds of other sports didn't have women participation in the Olympics until like the eighties. Yeah. When well, there's def still a problem. I mean, maybe probably for a long time though, there'll be this problem of in the Olympics, certain things where they'll say there is participation from women in the sport internationally or whatever, but they say, Oh, well, but the competition isn't high enough level or there isn't enough different countries that have high level competition in this so they only make the men's thing olympic uh, the, the, yeah. the 1984 summer games in los angeles were the first time there was a women's marathon as an example women's marathon jesus christ yes yeah, it's a pretty basic like in the 80s you know, in the 80s the what? olympics have been going on since 1896 and the marathon's been there since the beginning yeah yeah, it took almost a hundred years. Did you hear about the thing recently where somebody had there was a marathon and then they had made up trophies for fastest runner and yes. the fastest woman runner, but yes. then a woman was the just overall won. fastest, and then they just didn't know what to do. They didn't have a trophy for that. Uh, Which is she should get both trophies. Should, yeah, we shouldn't be laughing because it's awful. Well, it's but. awful, but like she should get both. I mean, I hope I didn't look into it. I, th- I hope they gave her both trophies. I hope they gave her both trophies. She yeah. should get tro- both trophies. I completely agree. Yeah. Hmm. One more thing about the bobsled, because again, I'm me. I wanted to know the etymology of bobsled. Hmm. Okay. I'm back yeah. on etymology corner. So the the name bobsled or bobsleigh comes from the early competitors who would bob back and forth inside the sled to increase the speed. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was a technique for going faster down sure, the track. Sure, that makes sense. So then I looked up where luge and skeleton get their names from. Right. Luge comes from a Swiss word for small coasting sled, which seems okay. like a weird thing to have a word for. And skeleton comes from the fact that they supposedly look like skeletons. Oh. Yeah. I kind of expected a, more of a story for the skeleton one. I know. That was kind of the letdown of them. I like the word for small coasting sled, though. Yeah, I like that. Luge. It's a good. Luge. It's a good word. It has a nice, nice uh, onomatopoeia poetica to it. Onomatopoeia poetry. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we have a number of follow up items. Oh, okay. I I love follow up. And I was saving them up. You are a gentleman. Because I just I kind of I know you enjoyed the follow up and I also feel like it wouldn't really have been fair to make Casey Liss answer for details of obscure aspects of RX linguistics facts like it just didn't <laughs> seem you know it just seemed a little mean to him. <laughs> I think we definitely should have tried that <laughs> next time maybe maybe when if if he returns as a guest yeah we get Tiff back we can throw some follow up yeah just see how they do i think it'd be if fun. you give them a first run with no <laughs> follow-up <laughs> with content that they were not responsible for no no preamble no like uh pre-work yes yeah um and we might not get through all the stuff that we accumulated just on time but we start working 
through the backlog. Um, okay. And the, I wanted to do this one first because there's a, a kind of a fact came out of it. Um, okay. So in our last episode with TIFF, uh, I mentioned that many foods we identify with different countries' cultures were actually brought in by colonialism. So like Italy's tomatoes came from the New World or Britain's tea came from India. Um, but somebody on Twitter, uh, at, at Puku, uh, wrote in to point out that, well, Britain did end up importing a lot of tea from India. The tea that originally became popular in Britain was from China. Yeah. Um, which makes sense. That makes sense. Seems um, very... Very plausible. Intuitive, when they thought about it a little bit more. Um, and the, the little backstory behind that is in the 1830s that the British East India Company was increasingly concerned about the price of tea in China, considering that China oh. had a monopoly. That's where that uh, expression comes from, I assume. I believe, I, I believe so. Yeah. And the, uh, I, although I assume it would be popularized, actually, I might as well actually just fork that off and double-checked. What is the price of tea in China? What's that got to do with the, no. another explanation? Oh, no. hmm. Don't think so. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Wait, yes. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm getting answers. I'm getting both. I'm seeing It's both. related. Okay. It's related. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the point of the fact. A whole, whole other fact on that. <laughs> Um, I'm back. <laughs> so the British East India Company, they started planting tea in India instead. This, of course, being the same British East India Company that found itself on the wrong side of the Boston Tea Party. Okay. Um, which probably has other My facts. favorite tea party. Uh, it was one of the better tea parties. Yeah, um, it's a good one. But in researching this, I came across something else interesting, which is researching tea and in India. Fun fact, the term chai tea, in that term, chai means tea oh so i'm drinking if i drink a chai tea i'm actually drinking a tea tea you're drinking a tea tea oh okay. uh what we call chai tea would be more properly called masala chai mm. i've heard that spiced tea yeah so that when we say masala chai is not a specific kind of chai which i'd heard it, i assumed okay masala chai is a variation of chai i see so masala is the chai and chai is tea yes exactly uh, and masala just means spice. So like you see garam masala, different kind of like in India cooking, there'll be such a masala like that's like spices or mixed spice. So when you see masala chai, that's spiced tea. So did you know, because I'm just looking at this because I was fascinated by what you said, that chai originally is derived from the Chinese word for tea? Yes, cha, which is something that I didn't. I never connected that that was the Chinese word from tea, but in Vancouver, where we have a lot of Chinese population, there's lots of restaurants, like tea places that are like gong cha, o cha, hot cha. They're all like tea places. So uh-huh. now that I know that, I will see it everywhere and make that uh, connection. And then there's also matcha tea, which is ground tea tea. Yeah. So the word for the word for in Japanese is also, it, the word in Japanese is ocha. Is ocha. So yeah. matcha is tea, match being ground and cha being tea so it's and when we say matcha tea it's ground tea tea <laughs> there's also bento box so there's a box box i mean people say atm machine so you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah. i just i enjoy this little duplicate ones. yeah and it kind of flowed awesome. out of a follow-up so i thought it would be good to do yeah, at the end it's of the, the redundancy department of redundancy the department of redundancy department yeah that also works whatever you uh, tired have some <laughs> i am surprised it's held together as much as it has honestly <laughs> considering the tiredness because it, it, it makes things funnier yeah i have a note here a follow-up that's been here for weeks i'm desperate to know it says people addicted to wi-fi yeah it's actually a mistyping by me <laughs> <laughs> okay. it's it, it's supposed okay. to be people allergic to wi-fi <laughs> 
<laughs> this has been there for weeks. I was like, what? Okay, finally, Ark will come back and he'll be able to tell me the story of a physiological <laughs> dependence on Wi-Fi. No, so I think on a previous episode, you were maybe talking maybe with Casey about... Yeah, the quiet zone. The quiet zone, right. So when, when I was in Israel last, which was a few years back, we were staying in a a house that my parents were renting and they were renting it from a woman who claimed to be allergic to Wi-Fi. And okay. we had like internet in the house, but we were asked to only plug it in as short time as we possibly could if we needed it mm-hmm. and to unplug it whenever we weren't using it. And so me being, I don't know, apparently in a not particularly respectful mood or thinking this was nonsense, I left it plugged in like overnight or something. Because I was like, this is dumb and I want to use the internet. And the next day, this woman came to us and was like, did you leave it on last night? I couldn't sleep. It was awful. (laughs) And I was like, wow, okay. I don't know what to do now with this. But I feel really bad for her because if you you are actually allergic to Wi-Fi, I don't know how many places you can go anymore. The world would be unpleasant. Yeah. Luckily for her... As far as science can tell, it's impossible to be allergic to Wi-Fi. I know, but then she was good at predicting it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if she would just like look at her phone and see that there was a network up. That would be one way. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the unit buzzed or something. Who Um, knows? But she was very, very intense about it. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, though, that psychosomatic stuff can still cause very real symptoms, even if the cause is not what you think it is. It's still just as unpleasant or worse. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a little s- disappointed that nobody was addicted to Wi-Fi, but the uh, yeah. the al- allergy. She should just move to the National Quiet Zone. I mean, she probably can't because she's probably well, not an American citizen. But yeah. they should. But we yeah. could get a special exemption. Okay, <laughs> allergic to Wi-Fi. Yeah. Well, we'll call someone. We have another a follow piece of follow up actually from the last episode that Arik was on. Uh, a couple of people wrote in about O Canada and we were talking about uh, singing it in French and singing it in English. And they said something that I should have known, which is that when it's unclear whether or not it should be French and English, we alternate in between English and French uh, verses. and make the song Which has space. got to just make the weirdest song lyrics. I, oh, yeah, the, the, the song, <laughs> that, if you think the song doesn't make sense in now, French, yeah. imagine it half English, half French. Half English, um, half but French. we'll put a link to what that sounds like in yeah. the show notes. And we have a note from you for follow-up from an episode that we had with Casey. We were talking about West Virginia, about the creation of it. Yeah, I just wanted to mention, I think it's interesting that West Virginia was the only state in the Union that separated from a Confederate state during the Civil War. Oh, hey, that's badass. Yeah, so that's how West Virginia was created, because they were like, we don't want to do this. And so it was just like a certain number of counties sure, from from Virginia, and then they just formed West Virginia. Oh, is that why it's so squiggly? yeah. Yeah, it's very strangely shaped. Yeah, so it's not. It's just a small anecdote, just kind of oh, interesting. I like that, and, yeah. and you can give it that. It's like a nice kind of, you know, West Virginia pride. After we were making fun of it, it's like, hey, they stood up for something, and their creation came from. It's a beautiful place too. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's absolutely beautiful. I have not, but I did hear that it was beautiful. Yeah. So, yep, came out for that. And do you have a note about Take Five? It's just my dad's favorite song. <laughs> I don't know. All right, all right. It's like it's four in the morning, listening to the episode of Fun Fact, and you have notes. I was really sad. I was listening to the episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was really enjoying it. I was like, oh, take five. That's my dad's favorite song. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got to use it. Yeah. Um, and donated some money to the Red Cross in honor of the... Yeah, I think that's great. I never knew that story, but it's like his favorite... That guy is his favorite musician pretty much of all time. So. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Uh, and then I had claimed that the in copyright that 
in the United States, the copyright is 70 years after the artist's death? Not true. Okay. How long is copyright in the United States? I think it's 90 years after the artist's death. What is it? (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) What is it? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well. Oh, you don't know? You put this in? I didn't put this in. What? I did not. No, I didn't. Um, (laughs) If I did, it was while I was completely... (laughs) No, I have no idea how long it is, so I don't think I did that. Um, according to this, yeah. works created after January 1st, 1978, copyright lasts for the life of the author, plus an additional 70 years. Oh, so you were right. So not only do we not know who put it, we don't <laughs> know what they were talking about. Uh, that's amazing. So that's good. That's um, wonderful. Yeah, I don't want to blame a, a baby idol brain for that, but... I wish there was a way in the app we use to blame. Things. If we could place blame for each error. Yeah, that would be wonderful. We do enjoy everybody writing in the corrections and stuff, though. Yeah, please. Emails. Email hello at funfact.com. We get iMessages if you have iMessage. If you uh, know our... Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. People do that. Uh, cool. Although, I guess it's not called... Is it called iMessage anymore? Is that, I think it's just called Messages. Am I that sounding old? It's just yes. Ap- Apple Message. You're not sounding old. <laughs> I just am old. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh. then, finally, on the list I have, uh, we were talking about tiff armin was telling us about these glass tiles on the sidewalks and i was talking about oh i have seen those and she was talking about purple glass but then after recording the episode walking back from lunch place at work i I talked about how we had these glass tiles on the sidewalk i noticed they're actually they are purple tiles so we have some of these purple sidewalk tiles that were originally clear and then uh, because they didn't know that this happened over the years the sunlight uh turned the tiles purple so we have some cool purple tiles that are apparently like a hundred years or more old and the sidewalks of uh vancouver if you want to come check that out next time you come visit i will fun fact headquarters yeah i mean i'm there right now in the room with many corners yeah well yeah we're both there obviously we're we're there i'm clearly where else would we be if they want to visit our many cornered room it's a room that's somehow both in oakland and in vancouver yeah, well, we got an exemption. It's like that library. It's like that library. That's exactly that what I was thinking. That crosses the border. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Will you enjoy your sleep? 